0: Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 will be not the only verse, but one of the verses that we will look at this morning. Maybe if you don't have Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 memorized, maybe this is a verse you could resolve to memorize this year. It's not very long. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your faithfulness and your love this past year, and we know that we can count on you and trust you and trust your faithfulness and your love and your wisdom for this next year, Lord. Give us insight into your word. For Christ's sake, amen. There's one word that I would like for you to resolve this year to commit to, and that's the word trust. Trust. In fact, the, the outline for this morning is going to be the word trust. We're going to use it as an acronym. There were some notes to my left or right, but you really don't need them. The outline basically is going to be trust. Trust. How do you spell trust? T-R-U-S-T. Very simple. Uh, T will be trust that God is absolutely sovereign and he's good to you. R will be resolved to be captured more by the word of God than trying to capture the future. T-R-U. U is understand the difference between P P and P P P P. I understand that there's a difference between precept, principle, and preference. Okay, and we're going to come back to these. And this is based off of the Word of God and Proverbs three, five, and six. T R U S is stop. You have to say it like that too. Stop. Stop using a crystal ball to discern God's future plan for your life. And then T will come back to trust again. In the end, what do you do? You trust God and move forward. So then this morning, we're going to be talking about discerning God's will. And discerning God's will is mainly about knowing God and seeking to be like Jesus more than it is a kind of secret key or map to navigate in a complicated world. The Bible does not necessarily, and it doesn't in any way, plan out my life for today in terms of, Tom, here's what today and next year life is going to look like. And so here are 12 steps that you need to follow in order to determine God's future for you, what you need to do this next year. Here are 12 things. That's not what we see in the Bible. However, what God does give us is more of a compass. And so that's where this acronym TRUST comes in. So trust will serve as a compass. How do we know what God wants us to do? We trust. We trust God. Well, okay, but... What does that mean? Well that's where the acronym comes in. And so as a compass, you have different headings. and I guess a compass, you would say there's mainly four, right? But on this compass, there's mainly five, right? TRUSt. So the first compass point is T from the word trust. Trust that God has a sovereign will for your life, that He's mapped out, and much of it is secret from you. However, it is a good sovereign plan, though it will include some hard and difficult times, that God is sovereign, and you can trust Him, though there are going to be some secret things. And if you were to read I won't turn there, but Deuteronomy 29:29. 29, 29, says that the secret things belong to God. The things that are revealed in the Word, those are the things that we should seek out. But I do want us to be reminded of God's absolute sovereignty. Isaiah chapter 46 is a beautiful chapter that I've referred to many times. Verse 10 says, declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. God knows the end from the beginning and he has purposed all things which are to happen. Even things that that are bad are included within his plan like the crucifixion of Christ was the most evil event that there could ever be, but yet that was within that overall plan of God. Even in our personal lives, if you're to look at Proverbs sixteen, Proverbs sixteen talks a lot about one's personal life and the sovereignty of God. Proverbs sixteen verse nine the man of a man the mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Verse thirty three the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. These verses are all teaching that God is absolutely sovereign over all things in the whole universe. And so we have Romans eight twenty eight, and God causes all things to work together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. So just by looking at those different verses briefly, we see that God is in charge, he's in control, he has a plan, he has a story, a grand story that he is telling. It does include some bad things, but it ends gloriously for all those who trust him. Even we learn from Proverbs 16, even our own individual lives, we see that God is sovereign over them, but we also know from scripture that doesn't cancel out free agency or our responsibility in any way. So how does this help us with discerning God's will? There are some areas in life, a lot of areas in life, and if we're honest, we would say we have no idea what God is doing. There are some things that I, I don't understand I can't foresee the future even of what's going to happen on the way home from church. So what do we do? We trust God's sovereign plan, that he's sovereign, he has an end goal, it's good, and he's good, even though there can be some difficult times. It was Thomas Watson that said, when you can't trace the hand of God, you can trust the heart of God. When you can't trace the hand of God... You can trust the heart of God. And that's what we're seeing with this first purpose, this first compass point, that first T. Trust that God is sovereign, and Romans 8, he's going to do things in your life to help you be blessed the most you could ever be blessed, and that's to become more and more like Jesus. God is grand and his sovereignty. Now, I I preached this sermon as part of a series, maybe 11 years ago, here at Pilgrim, and the first point was the point that I'm making now, and when I was done, a man came up and said, so Tom, if God is sovereign, if I went to the back of the room, and I hit the table, and and anger, (coughs) boom! Is God sovereign over that? If I become angry and just, like, get a table, or if I got this pulpit and just launched it, is God sovereign over that? Would that be part of God's plan? And I said, in the grand scheme of things, and the wide-angle lens, yes, it doesn't mean that that person wouldn't be responsible for their sin. However, God is sovereign over all things from the death of Christ to Pharaoh's heart being hardened to the betrayal of Judas, of Jesus Christ. And that man left and he never came back to church. At times, it can be hard to accept that God is sovereign over all things. But not only is he sovereign over all things, he has an end goal that is good to bless all those that are his. I was in India one time, uh, many, gosh, 1994. And I asked a question, there's some Americans and some Indians at this Bible study, and I said, can people frustrate God? Can people frustrate God? And all the Indians said no, and it was the Americans that said yes. And so I turned to Psalm 33, Psalm 33, verse 10. The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations, he frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. Certainly, God can be saddened by the evil actions and hearts of mankind, but God doesn't have plan B, C, D, E, and F. He has one plan that he works perfectly to fulfill. So this first point is the foundational point, that even in the darkest times, the the key to understand God's will is to trust him. To trust that he's good, he's sovereign. When everything seems to be falling apart, trust that God is in control and he has a plan. Even if you don't see it or, or can't feel it or can't discern it, God is sovereign. He controls all things. He's not let go of you or forgotten about you. Trust the secret sovereign plan. That's the first compass point. Second compass point. That was T. Now this is R. Maybe you have a compass and first it has a T on it and then over here a little bit it has an R. And this is resolve. Resolve to have the word of God take hold of you more than you trying to take hold of the future. Key, and by the way, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 5, key to understanding and discerning the will of God is first that you understand and seek to persistently live the word of God. Sometimes we can be more overcome and and excited about maybe reading a few different books on uh, God's will and really seeking to understand what He wants me to do in the future more than what does He want me to do in the present. We need to be faithful now more than just trying to figure out the future. Ephesians 5.17, start Ephesians 5.15. Be careful how you walk, that is, be careful how you live, not as unwise men, but as wise Making the most of your time because the days are evil. Verse 17. So then, don't be dumb. Don't be foolish. But understand what the will of the Lord is. So here we see a a clear command. We should know what God's will is. Discern the will of God. But then the rest of this wonderful letter is going to unfold that. What is God's will for us? Not to get drunk. To sing and speak with psalms and hymns. To be giving thanks. To be subject to one another and the fear of Christ. Wives submitting to their husbands with respect. Husbands loving their wives and laying down their own life for their wife. Children obeying their parents. Parents not squashing and exasperating their kids. Slaves, we could say employees, working sincerely with their eyes on God for their bosses and bosses being kind and good to their employers, sorry, to their employees, and then fighting this spiritual fight. This is an example of what it is with. Knowing and doing the will of God. John MacArthur wrote a, a very helpful book. It's a, it's a small book. I, I don't know if we have, I don't think we have it over here. It's, it's pretty cheap. It might even be free online. Uh, Found God's Will. Have any of you ever read that book? A, a very good little book. And basically, he takes the passages which, which say, This is God's will for you, and He'll use that. He uses that as 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 his outline. For example, it's God's will that you should be saved. Are are you saved? Some of you might want to know, God, what do you want me to do? You know, who should I marry? What job should I have? What what schools should I go to? Should I buy a new house? Should I do this? Should I do that? But maybe you're not even saved. Number one, to know the will of God is what, be saved. Repent and ask Jesus Christ to save you. That, that's num- number one. That's God's will. Acts 17. Every man, all men everywhere should what? Repent. Repent and trust Jesus. Then if we were to go further, it's God's will that everybody be sanctified. That is, be, be holy. Become more and more like Jesus Christ less and less like our sinful selves and more and more like Jesus Christ. We could even say here, it's God's will in Ephesians 5.18 that we be spirit-filled, that is, controlled by the Spirit, be manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. It's not wrong to pray, to seek to know What God wants you to do in the future, whether job or or marriage or whatever decisions there are. You know, where do you go for vacation? Is it time to move? What is it that God wants you to do? it's not wrong to seek to know those answers, but the priority is that you become more and more like Jesus. And then once you're more and more like Jesus, not always, but many times, these other areas will become easier to discern. That's God's will that you're saved, that you're sanctified, that you're spirit-filled. We could say it's God's will that you're thankful. If you're a grumbling, complaining person, then the Spirit of God will be focusing on convicting you over that more than leading and directing you where where you should go what you should, and what you should do. This is what we mean by... The R, resolving to have the word take hold of you, more than you trying to take hold of the the future. It means you read your Bible, you pray, and you seek to be more and more like Jesus Christ. That's the T and the R. Both of those are positive. We come to a third compass point, which perhaps may be a little bit controversial, and then the next one will be even more controversial. But this third one, this third compass point is understand the difference between the three Ps. Precept, principle, and preference. Why do I bring this up in in talking about God's will? Because oftentimes we can, I, I can, construe my preferences to be a biblical principle, or at least prioritize it above a biblical principle, and turn it into God's will for my life, and then I follow my preference, and then my preference doesn't turn out the best, and then who do I blame? God, you told me to do this! It was your will! Well, it was my preference. <laughs> God is sovereign over all things, yes, but there are choices that we make that within God's sovereignty, God allows us to go through difficult times because of poor choices. And so we need to understand the difference between precept, principle, and preference. Let me explain. Precept if it is a specific command from Scripture, like, don't steal. A precept, for example, is not today in order to see God work in Stilicum. I want us... Did you bring your trumpet? Go get your trumpet. Maybe John can bring his. And we're going to walk around Stilicum seven times. And on that seventh time, I want you to blow the trumpet and claim Stilicum in Jesus' name. Now, it's not wrong... It's not morally wrong to walk around still come and pray and blow a trumpet. However, that's not what that passage in Joshua is teaching us. For example, does God want us to, to, to go today to Jericho and take Jericho by the sword? It's in the Bible. They took Jericho, God brought down the walls, but then also they went in and, and they killed everybody it's in the bible no there are contextual historical covenantal issues so we don't automatically apply all of the old testament to us today we're not making sacrifices today because these sacrifice was made so what i'm saying is a precept is for example don't steal don't lie a principle is the application of the precept in a specific situation. Uh, for example, with don't steal. Let's say you're at work and you, you clock in. This happened at a place, at a Christian place where I worked in. Not with me, with somebody else. This person would go and clock in early in the morning before anybody else was there. And then he would just work on the computer and play video games for about 2 hours. And he did that for a long time. And so he got overtime pay. <laughs> Finally somebody got suspicious and and caught him. Well that's stealing. He was stealing company's time, company's money. He didn't take money from a cash register, <laughs> but it is still stealing. That's an application of do not steal. The precept would be, don't steal. You know, it's even a lie, right? He's lying. Precept, very specific imperatives in the Bible. A principle is an application of that. A preference, however, may be with not stealing, you could say maybe you've decided not to take soap from a hotel or shampoo. You know how they have those little shampoo and soap bottles? Are you taking those out of the hotel? You know, I've known some believers that won't do that because they think that that's stealing. But how are th- those bottles are there for you to, to use and to take? But maybe it, it's a preference that you don't take those. Well, that would be fine. But that's not necessarily God's will saying, don't take these. Well, if I'm being unclear, think of it this way. Here in our passage, Ephesians five, eighteen, it says, don't get drunk with wine. So it's pretty clear. God's precept, don't get drunk. An application of that today would be, don't smoke marijuana. Don't get high on marijuana. Don't go home and smoke a joint. Don't do it. Why? Because you're being controlled by a foreign substance. That's precept, that's principle. What's the preference? Well, some of you may, may say, I, I don't want to drink NyQuil because NyQuil has how much alcohol in it? I'm not sure. But, you know, you, you could drink a lot of that and sleep really good night and sleep really long into the morning. And so it, it may be your preference. Well, I, I'm not going to do that because that could be that could be sin. I, I know one believer, a man in India, that when he gets his... I'm not, I'm not saying this is right. I'm saying it's his preference. I, I would not do this. I, I go the other way probably too far. I have a friend in India, when he gets his teeth worked on, he won't take any medication. No numbing. I go to the dentist and they say, so on a 1 to 10 like pain scale, 10 being the greatest, 1 being the least how much pain can you take? And I say, negative 10. Just give me give me everything. So I probably, you know, that's probably not a very good preference, going that way. <laughs> so I hope I'm being clear. There's precept principle, and then there's a preference where it's not either right or wrong. Like with this area of don't drink and preference, it could be, you know, some people may be addicted to, to coffee or to you know chocolate like I am too much the reason why again I bring this up is because we need with precept and principle to be inflexible with preference be flexible and we have to be careful about thinking that my preference is not necessarily God's will for everybody else Or isn't a a true compass point my preference for this is what God wants me to do just because I prefer this? Because again, we we make a decision just based upon our preference. Not saying a preference is bad, but if it's just based upon that and not informed by precept and principle, then we can make a poor decision. It could be a job. God forbid, it could be a married, like if you're a young man, a young woman, you're not married yet, maybe. I only want to marry somebody that has blonde hair. Uh, Are you putting that preference above somebody that's not a believer? (laughs) Blonde hair, then believer. Well, that could lead to a disaster. So again, understand the difference between precept, principle, and preference. And that could be helpful. Fourth, a fourth compass point. Stop using the crystal ball methods of discerning God's will. Second Peter chapter one, starting with verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory... Talking about the Mount of Transfiguration. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, and we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with Him on the Holy Mountain. So we have the prophetic word, that is, this Word of God that's talked about in verses 20 to 21, made more sure. Better than a type of a crystal ball method for understanding God's will is being sure that we know. God's Word. What am I talking about? There are times when we can almost use magical or extraordinary methods to determine God's will for our lives. And God, in His own wisdom and by His own power, may use extraordinary methods to show you what He wants you to do, but those would be rare, not normative. Uh, for example, impressions. You might have an impression in your heart to do something and might believe that that is God's will. And it, it, it may be God's will, but it has to be tested by what? By Scripture. And then get counsel about it. Just because you might have an impression in your heart doesn't mean that God is saying something to you that he wants you to do. You have to guard that, judge it by what the word of God says, and then also have some counsel over that. Sometimes Romans 8.14 can be used to say that when you have an impression that this is always God leading you, uh Romans 8.14 says, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. But when it talks about being led by the Spirit of God in verse 14, it's strengthening verses 13 and 12, which is talking about putting sin to death. It's talking about mortification. It's talking about those sinful areas in your life you defeat. So Romans 8.14 can't be used for some type of impression that you might or might not have. Again, you, you know the Word of God and the Spirit of God is working upon you through His Word that you know. And so that impression could be, if it matches Scripture, what God and His Word wants you to do. But it must always be judged and confirmed by Scripture And even get some wise counsel on that. That is, don't automatically assume I have this impression. Like for me, I went to India. I I had a strong impression, God wants me to go to India. But I looked at God's word. I got counsel from the elders. I did three exploratory trips to India. And even after I married Lisa, I took Lisa on an exploratory trip to India. I just didn't take her and drag her to India. (laughs) Because I wanted her also to see it, India herself, for the first time, to judge and analyze is this something that she could do under God's grace? So God may and does lead by impression, but it is not necessary, it's not an authoritative leading. You want to submit that to God's word and get counsel on it. So we have to be careful. Another one is peace. There are times when I've said, and maybe you've said, I I really feel peace about this decision, peace about this direction. And depending upon what you mean, that may or may not be God giving you direction for that situation. That is, peace is not always a means to determine the will of God. Remember what Jesus said about families, when somebody becomes, in Matthew 10, when somebody becomes a Christian, some of those families, is it going to bring peace? Somebody becomes a Christian in some families, it's going to create what? Hostility and, and opposition. Peace is not, oh, depending upon what you mean, peace is not always necessarily a marker for this is what God wants you to do. And, and the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus and the, and Paul, was there always peace? No. And I know often we mean peace of mind and, and peace of heart. However, even for Jesus, remember he was sorrowful to the point of of death, and even the apostle Paul always had the church on his mind. Come with me to Second Corinthians. Chapter eleven verse twenty three. Second Corinthians chapter eleven verse twenty three. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane, I more so in far more labors and far more imprisonments, beaten times without numbers, often in danger. Five times I received the Jews thirty nine lashes. Five times, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked a night and a day I 've spent in the deep I 've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights. And hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is a daily pressure on me for concern for all the churches. Paul needs a counselor. He needs help. I I, I could read this passage and go, does he know peace? Maybe he needs to reevaluate his life because he's missed the will of God if he's suffering like this so much. So what I'm seeking to bring out is certainly we need to have the kind of peace which is talked about in Philippians chapter 4 which I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and so I have this peaceful contentment but that doesn't mean that there will never be any stress in my mind or in my life. That won't happen until when? Until heaven. Until you see Jesus face to face. Then no stress ever again. There have been times in my life when doing the right thing was not necessarily peaceful. Doing the will of God is not necessarily peaceful. It can bring peace afterwards. There's been times when I've had to do, and elders here also have had to do, Matthew 18. That that wasn't peaceful in my heart. There's been times when I had opportunities to witness to people and there's been fear but still it was the right thing to do. Sometimes you do what's right and there's not necessarily a feeling of peace about it. We should live in peace and have peace in our hearts, but that is not necessarily an indicator of doing God's will. You should do what is right and then pray that God would give you peace in your heart. So when we say, well, I have peace about making this decision, maybe... Clarify to yourself what you mean. What what do you mean about that? Well, you don't think it's wrong. You you think it's the right thing to do. I'm saying that God's word says that sometimes we make decisions and it's not necessarily a peaceful decision. Doing the right thing doesn't always equal peace. Very similar, perhaps, is an open door. Sometimes we may say i think this is god's will because the door is open but i think scripture would say sometimes the door is open sometimes you go in sometimes you don't even with a closed door sometimes you go in and sometimes you don't an open door is not necessarily not necessarily an indicator of god's path for you 1st corinthians 16 1st corinthians 16 verse 9 Paul is talking. But I'll remain in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective service has opened to me and there are many adversaries. I wouldn't talk like this. I would say, notice how the Apostle Paul talks. There's a wide door for effective service and so I'm going to go for it because everybody loves me and everybody's clapping their hands and and everybody's being saved. But the Apostle Paul says, there's a wide door for effective service and there are many people against me. (laughs) What? That's almost like saying, beloved, I'm leaving. God's opened a wide open door for me in Saudi Arabia. Oh, is there a... No, there's no church there. Nobody's calling me. But there's many enemies there of the gospel. That's the open door. (laughs) What? Am I being clear? You know, we don't always think this way. What you perceive to be an open door might be a closed door. What you perceive to be a closed door could be an open door. We have to pray for for discernment. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. And this is why I've said before, we need to be sure that we know God, that we're being like Christ, that we do what we know that God wants us to do by his word. There are other areas which we don't know for sure and we pray about it, we get counsel, we make a decision and go for it and then see what happens. Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. Now when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ and when the door was opened for me, I had no rest in my spirit. And this is the area where you have the peace of God, where it is a leading of God. I had no rest from my spirit, not finding Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went on to Macedonia. There are times when God opens doors, times when he closes doors. Depending upon what that means, that may or may not be necessarily God leading you to do something. Again, another example. This is non-biblical. I came back from India I forgot the exact date, the exact year, but I came back in order that I could pursue Lisa. I hadn't talked to her in five years. I came back from India to pursue her so I could ask for her hand in marriage. So, the first time I asked her out, I said, Lisa, I would like to take you out for coffee. Would you like to go out for a coffee at Java and Jazz? And she said, no. <laughs> she said, no way. No, she didn't say no. She said, no. Ask me again, you know, a different time. So I asked her a second time and she said yes. Now I, I talked to her pastor and her pa- not John MacArthur, her fellowship pastor. Her fellowship pastor said, Tom, she's too smart for you. She has too good of manners for you and she's too good looking for you. Don't don't ask her out. Later I find out that he had asked her out and she had said no to him. <laughs> but I asked her out anyways so what I'm trying to illustrate is those were two closed doors. Should I have said, okay, God in his providence is saying no? There is, in a similar subject, a good friend of mine, who was also a friend of Lisa's and mine, he wanted to ask out this other girl, and she had already said no, and so he asked me, what should I do? And I said, just give her up. Pursue somebody else. She's not going to go out with you. She's not the one for you. Now they've been married for 24 years and they have four kids. <laughs> so what I am saying, trying to also try to show you from God's word, is that there are times there will be closed doors. There will be times there will be open doors. It is not necessarily... An indicator of God's will. It may be an indicator of God's will, but not necessarily so. Necessarily so, God's Word is sola scriptura, it is that normative. Highest authority for our lives that sets the foundation and discerns everything else. If a door is closed or open, it may or may not be God's will. You have to use discernment, wisdom, get some other pastors, some other people, friends, family to give you discernment. Just because it seems like there's some obstacles, that doesn't mean the door is closed. Because there are no obstacles, doesn't mean the door is open necessarily. In terms of God's will for your life. So you have to use discernment. Now there's also the fleece practice. The fleece practice about Gideon. And I, I've heard people, not, not recently, but people in the past, tell me, Tom, just toss your fleece out. Or Tom, I, I just tossed my fleece out like Joshua did. I'm sorry, like Gideon did in the book of Joshua. Chapter 6. Verse 36 to 40. I think I wrote down the wrong section. Judges, thank you. I did J O S. Judges, of course. You know, I have judges actually, J U D. Judges chapter 6, 36 to 40. Maybe you've heard this before where you just throw out your fleece. Then Gideon said, verse 36 of Judges chapter 6, if you will, he's saying this to God, if you will deliver Israel through me as you have spoken, that's key, as you have spoken. Behold, I will put a fleece of wool in the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only, and it is dry on all the ground, then I will know that you will deliver Israel through me. Again, key, as you have spoken. And it was so when he arose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece. He drained the dew from the fleece, a bowl of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not let your anger burn against me, that I may speak once more. Please let me make a test once more of the fleece let it now be dry only on the fleece and let there be dew on the ground. God did so that night for it was dry only on the fleece and dew was all on the ground. Just because this isn't a bible and Gideon doesn't uh, does this doesn't mean that we should automatically follow him in throwing out our our fleeces. It says in verse 36 and verse 37 that God already spoke and told him what's going to take what was going to take place. And we see in verse 39 that even Gideon is a little bit apprehensive. Is he doing the right thing by testing God? Because he says, "Don't let your anger burn against me." Now Gideon was a man of faith, but that doesn't mean that he was perfect. And I would say that here He should have already trusted what God said. God had already said what he was going to do. And so Gideon should have trusted God with that. It would be similar to this, I think. A a, a similar practice that we may have, uh, that maybe we would ask God to do, could go along these lines. A a couple different examples. When I was younger, I, I might have said, Lord, there's this pretty girl And I'd like to ask her out. I'd like to marry her. So I pray, Lord, if it's your will, that she would sit down right beside me. I know, Lord, I will know you'll want me to ask her out if she sits down right here in this empty chair. And then either the chair stays empty or a different girl sits there. Then what do you do? Well, actually, young man, you should get up and go and talk to that girl and ask her out. Maybe that's not the issue. Maybe it's a job. Maybe you want a different job and you're jobless. And so you're such a man or a woman of prayer of faith that you're going to pray the job in. But that's wonderful, but you never go and make any resumes or hand in application, you know, anything. You don't really search for a job. You're only praying. That'd be like throwing out your fleece. You're asking God to do something extraordinary which is not necessarily wrong but you're not doing what you should do morally it could be even like this lord i will forgive my wife if it snows in las vegas then i would know it's a sign for you to witness to me to the, for you for me to witness to my grumpy neighbor across the street if It snows in Las Vegas, then I will know. It's your will. When God's already made his will clear, you need to forgive, you need to work out your salvation, you need to be responsible, you need to be a man. So when God's will is clear, there's no reason to throw out your fleece (laughs) and ask God to do something extraordinary. You need to do what you need to do. So this passage then, what we're seeing with all of these passages is just be clear about asking God to do something extraordinary, unnormative when he's already made his will clear in that area. God at times, and praise him, will do things that that are extraordinary and not normative but be careful about just using that to determine God's will without using God's word and counsel. And then fifth, as we begin to wrap up. So you've trusted his sovereignty. You've resolved to really know his word and be captured by his word. You understand that there's a difference between precept and preference. You're going to Stop using God's extraordinary impression that he might give you as the sole means of interpreting God's will. And then the fifth compass point in here, the last one, is trust God, but make a decision, or don't. This is the last compass point, trust. So the first compass point was what? Trust, the last compass point is what? Trust. So pretty easy to remember. And it's, it's trust God, but make a decision. Or don't, but trust God. What, what am I saying? James 1.5 says what? What does James 1.5 say? Another verse to at least seek to memorize. But if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, and God will give it to him without finding fault generously. James 1, verse 5, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously, and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith. We need to ask God for, for wisdom. God, give me wisdom in making this decision. But then do what? Make a decision. Or don't. And when you don't make a decision, you actually are making a decision. But what, let, let me clarify what I mean. Some of you, I'm including myself with you, some of us all, perhaps we are quick to make decisions. Maybe we forget to pray for wisdom, we forget to get counsel, we don't church God's word. We just make a decision quickly. Now sometimes, some decisions need to be made quickly. Right? But maybe we err too much on making quick decisions and we should grow in that area. And so maybe sometimes pray about it, wait, discern, get counsel, don't be so quick. There are other times when some of us, and I think I can go either way, where we are too slow to make a decision because we're almost paralyzed. And it's not because necessarily we just want to pray about it and discern what we're scared. We're afraid. If I make this decision, then that's going to change everything. But I think God does want us to make a decision. We're called to be people that, that do and, and that walk and, and that live. So what I'm saying is, make a decision. But there are times when depending upon what it is and where you are at and where your family is at, you may have to wait to make a decision. That's not necessarily wrong. It depends who you are, the decision that's being made, where you're at and God's timetable. Clearly, if God's word is clear, don't do this, do this, then that should be done ASAP. But if it's more of this gray area that's unrevealed, you might have a little bit more time. Always ask for wisdom about it. Seek to get counsel. And there are many times in your life, and in my life there has been, I make a decision, and humanly speaking, it's not the best decision. It turns out being a pretty bad decision. But then what do you do? Do you beat yourself up about it? Well, you might have to get it right. You might have to confess. You might have to confess with your family or others. But then what do you do? You trust God and you keep going forward. We all make bad decisions. The only person not to make a bad decision was who? Jesus Christ. That's the only person that never made a bad decision. And so we trust again Romans eight twenty eight that God causes all things to work together for good for those that are called God, for those that are called by God and that love God. He will work things out. Sometimes we don't make a decision because we are afraid. If I make a decision and I decide to do this, then what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to us? Well, God has you and he has the U.S. and he has the whole world and the whole universe in his hands. And you're not so sovereign that you're going to mess up God's plan for your life. That doesn't mean you should sin more. You should sin less. But God is sovereign and he's good in his sovereignty. Trust God, make a decision, go forward, don't be paralyzed. There is freedom that you have in Christ. Perhaps we can end with this. When you write the script of your life, where you want to go, you know, like your to-do list, maybe this next year you're going to write a to-do list. Maybe you have 12 things you want to do this year. Write it in pencil. Because God's going to change that to-do list. Then write what you know God wants you to do based upon his word. Write that out with ink. Ink that you can't change. So your list and your plans and pencil and God's word and his will that you know based upon his word. Write that out with ink. We don't know what's going to happen in the next hour, the next day. God does exalt and trust his sovereign plan. So this next year, one word, trust God. There are many times that you've made a decision, I've made a decision, and it doesn't work out the way I... I don't know if I've made one plan ever that worked out exactly the way that I thought ever. Marriage, kids, school, church, vacations, missions, driving to church on Sunday morning really works out the way even I want it to work out. So what do we do? In all things, trust God. The Lord, if all of our heart, lean not on our own understanding, acknowledge him in all of our ways, and he will direct our paths. Lord, we thank you for your word and this brief excursion into discovering your will that's already there for us, Lord. May you give all of us clarity, and may we trust you more this next year than this past year. Lord, we give you praise. We thank you. Amen.